0: Whether or not you're watching this sermon as it's approaching the new year, you could be watching this message in the middle of March. The point is, we all want healthier habits. I don't think I've met really anyone who kind of goes by the rhythm of the Western world, who when January 1 rolls around is like, I kind of want to pick up some really, really destructive habits this year. I'd like some real negative habits. You know, some habits that just alter my health. That's what I want. No, we're all like, ah, I gotta quit drinking so much, or I gotta quit smoking, or I'm, I'm gonna cuss less when I'm driving in Seattle this year. That's what I'm going to do. What are the habits you're trying to change? Now, I've titled this series Habits of a Righteous Life because I believe that the habits you develop should merely be a response to your gifted righteousness. We're not going to get into this, but if you get a chance when this comes out online, watch the first sermon. Take about 20 to 30 minutes to describe for you Romans fourteen seventeen. Romans 14, 17 is a very important scripture to me personally. It is there that the writer to the church in Rome defines for us the dynamics or the indicators of where the king rules and reigns. The domain of the king has three resounding, you could argue four resounding, overt, and apparent characteristics. You always know where Jesus is ruling and Jesus is reigning because there, there will be a sense of his presence, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When it says in the Holy Spirit, I don't have time to to, to kind of uh, break it down, And decipher and describe it all, but it literally means the sense of the presence of God that you receive. You should have a sense of the presence of God. You should have moments where you get some goose pimples every now and again, and you feel like God is upon me. God is around me. God is with me. God will never leave me. In fact, it might happen during these sermons. It might happen during these moments. It might happen when the singers come back on stage and the band begins to play, and all of a sudden you get that sense that God is big, and God is good, and God loves me, and God is with me, and you start to feel like, whoa, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the spirit form of God, and he's in and upon you and around you. The Bible says where Jesus rules, there isn't a continual. It's not like you always have goose pimples. You don't always feel like, you know, you're radiating with the sense of God's majesty and beauty. Sometimes, you know, you just need a little caffeine to get you going, okay? So, but it means that there are, on a regularly scheduled program dictated and determined by God, you're experiencing the presence of God. And with experiencing the presence of God, there's an awareness of righteousness, which produces peace and joy. That's how you know the king is reigning. Keep in mind in Buckingham Palace, when the queen is there, they fly a flag. This is the flag, if you will. This is the indicator, if you will, that God is ruling and reigning in your life. There will be a righteousness, peace, and joy. Keep in mind the word righteousness there is positional more than anything. It means that your position and your relationship with God is right. You have a right relationship with God. You are accepted before God. You are forgiven before God. You have a perfect friendship with God. You're now hidden in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin so that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, from that reality, let us institute, respond to, and begin to practice sacred, holy habits of worship. And I'm going to share two habits with you, which will end up being two different sermons. We've already talked about daily rest. I've already talked about daily wonder, and you can pick up those sermons. One of my favorite subjects in the New Testament is rest. We talked about how important sleep is. I really, honestly, if you're into sleep and you want to sleep more, listen to that sermon. Sleep is actually a spiritual form of worship. Did you know that? I know it's crazy. I can prove it to you, but not in this sermon. Okay? Okay. What we're gonna talk about now is in responding to the kingdom of God at work in your life, in responding to righteousness. Keep in mind, Christianity is not a reaction. It's not a resolve. It's a response. It's a response. Faith is a response to the persuasion of God. Faith is a response to the gifted righteousness that comes through the finished work of Jesus. So your habits are not produced by willpower and sheer grit. You don't need Jesus for that. Those are called New Year's resolutions. Translation, those are called New Year willpower resolves. Now, here's the truth. Some of us just have better willpower than others. You can take that up with God when you get to eternity. It's true. And you're just like, how do you just stop doing things that I can't stop ever doing? It's like, they just have, they just have, a stronger willpower. Now, some would argue that we all have the same amount of willpower, but I've been, I'm 43 and I've lived long enough to know that just isn't true. So um, I don't know if it's like hopeless creatives and abstract randoms like me have less willpower. I don't know, but I literally, I have tried so many times to cut sourdough toast out of my diet because you stare at me every week when I preach and I know you judge my cheeks. I know you do. You're like, oh, he's enjoyed the holidays, hasn't he? You know, you judgmental people. So I have been trying to cut out cookies and sourdough toast, but I love them, and I won't, and I can't. But some of you, like, you're just like, I stopped eating that years ago. And I'm like, how? And you're like, I just, I just made a decision, brother. I trusted the Lord. Don't bring the Lord into your willpower, Okay because your will is supposed to be yielded to the Lord. But these habits we're talking about are motivated, generated, and exhilarated because of what Jesus has done and who he is. So they're holy, sacred habits of worship. We're talking about worship today. Are you worshiping daily? Daily rest is a daily form of worship, right? Daily honor and daily gratitude is what we're gonna talk about. we're gonna start with daily honor. Are you practicing the sacred act of worship called honor? Are you an honoring person? Are you honoring those around you? Are you honoring the relationships you are privileged and gifted to have? Are you honoring your own body are you honoring the day that is a gift in front of you? Are you honoring the king? We'll talk about that. Are you honoring God? Are you walking in honor? Now, again, when considering all that Jesus has provided for us within his domain, within his kingdom, there ought to be an overwhelming sense of gratitude, which we'll talk about that as well. But that produces in us a grand sense of I want to honor all those around me. So I want to talk to you about honor. I want to share um, one of, if not the most descriptive and important verse in all the New Testament on this particular subject of honor. Can you and I develop a daily habit going into the new year to be honoring people? Do we live by honor? Now, much has been made of honor in cultures, particularly our Western world. What does it mean to walk with honor, live with honor, and be an honoring person? Check out First Thessalonians, I believe it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter five. There it is, there it is. Okay, here we go. Rejoice. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You're trying to see if I know the Bible. Well, I do. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's actually uh, gr- the gratitude scripture, and that's what you knew, didn't you? You, you? Yeah, you knew that. I love you so much. This is so good. Thank you so much. Romans 12.10, very similar to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay, listen to this scripture. It says, be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one another. Listen to this. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Now, here's a very interesting thing to consider. When talking about daily honor, from best I can tell, there is only one area the New Testament Jesus follower is called to be competitive, and it's right here. Do you know the word to compete in honor? were actually intended, the original language says, try to outdo one another in honor. I'm supposed to try to honor you more than you honor me. That sounds just like twenty twenty one. Wait, no it doesn't. Wait, what are, this culture, they say it's called cancel culture. I don't participate in cancel culture, so I I, I don't practice cancel culture, but that seems to be very evident now. We, I was talking with someone uh, who's a full-grown adult, and they're in the public eye and public media, and they're now calling old high school friends to see if this person was a good high school person. This is a grown adult who's built a massive career. And now we have investigators asking if 30 years ago this person was nice, because if they're not, we're going to out them. Let me tell you what you can be grateful for today, that you don't have anyone currently investigating your high school years. You know what? That'll be enough to be thankful all day today. You know what I mean? Like, while we're on topic, I'm just glad ain't nobody investigating me and in my years at Issaquah High School, right? Like, are we? What? Instead of honor, we're outdoing each other and outing each other. The competition is, let's see who can out each other the best, I'm going to out you. You out me. And we'll compete online to see who gets canceled. My brothers and sisters, it ought not to be that way in the community of faith. We ought to be outdoing. Now, the word honor here, my favorite definition in my study that I've come upon is to prize. You know what it means to honor someone? Oh, sure. It means respect. It means recognizing the dignity of that person instituted and given by God, but it means to prize. So outdo one another in prizing each other. Do we treat each other like a prize? Do we treat each other like we are walking, talking trophies of God's grace? Do you look at me and see a trophy? Do I look at you and see a trophy? Or do I look at you and see you as a threat to my personal career and toy collection? Are we honoring each other? And yet, I think one of the reasons we lack honor, which is to prize one another, to value one another. You know why we don't value one another? Is because we're still living on the construct given to us by the culture, not by Jesus Christ. Jesus thinks you're so important and so valuable that he allowed himself to be crushed in your place so that you wouldn't be. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus saw you as so valuable, he gave his very life for you. Implicit within the gospel is this idea of value and prizing the human being. The absolute distinct and delicate design of each and every human being that ought to be prized. Many people were surprised that I was so outspoken about social justice in the United States of America. Many people felt like my perspective was simply of a political party or against another political party. But I'm here to tell you, I don't participate. These sermons have to be far transcendent beyond Republican and Democrat. Shout out to people all over the world who, thank God, are not caught up in the same ridiculous storyline in this country given to us by broadcasts who are making money by dividing us and galvanizing us against each other. We're not going to participate in that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to shame someone for wearing a mask, and I'm not going to shame someone for not wearing a mask. I'm not gonna shame someone for getting vaccine, and I'm not gonna shame someone for not getting vaccine. I don't have time for that. I'm about people. The church is people business, not show business. <laughs> Fox and CNN are into show business, and the money is you use people, the, the goal is you use people to make money. No, we make money to bless people. Our money is pooled together to help people and serve people. We don't use people to make money. That is not the goal. We're not here to use people, abuse people, overlook people, make people feel small. We're here to prize one another. We're here to honor one another. So don't think it's strange when gospel preachers have to stand in unsettling times where it becomes increasingly apparent that our country is not just. We have to stand up and say, no matter what the climate and the culture says, and no matter what party you think I'm aligning with, I'm telling you, I believe in honor. I believe that every human being is the distinct design and prize of the architect of the ages and should be treated accordingly. And By the way, man does not give man dignity. Only God does that. But it's time for man to recognize the dignity that God has given that's just how it is. And if you disagree, you're wrong and I'm right. That's the facts. That's the facts. And the day when my funeral comes, just remember, I was right, you were wrong, okay? <laughs> that was funny. I don't know why he said that, but it felt good. It felt real good, you know? Like, no, I... Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers. First of all, it says we need to be tender with fellow people in the church. But you know what Romans 12 teaches? It doesn't just teach that everybody in the Roman church should be tender with each other. It means everybody in the Roman church should be tender with those in the, in the Philippi church and those in the Corinth church. It's talking about Christians all over the world. I'm tired of the friendly fire. I'm weary. I'm tired. I don't have any more time to fight with Christians because so many people aren't and they need to know about Jesus. I love you, but I see you in heaven. We got work to do. We got work to do, you hear me? And our work is to believe that Jesus is enough and he's the superhero of the ages and it's our privilege to practice daily honor. Are you practicing daily honor? Look at all of the people we're called to honor in Scripture. First of all, you're to honor God, 1 Samuel says. Of course, we honor God. The Bible says that you are to honor your wife. The Bible says you are to uh, love your neighbor, which you could argue is another form of honoring your neighbor. There was a great list that I made up for all the things that you're to honor. One of them is your wife or your spouse. And you know that the word honor in the context of your marriage is that you're to be tender every day. You know what's amazing? Some of you are so focused on stopping cussing, but you're not tender with your spouse. You know what I say? Keep cussing. Just be tender with your spouse. Or better yet, stop cussing and be tender. That'd be a nice combo. I really mean it. I think we're so silly. You're so obsessed with your road rage, but you treat each other with contempt. And God says, be be tender with your wife. Do you know how you're going to be tender with your spouse when you realize that God is tender with you? When you realize God is tender with you. That's how you'll be tender with your spouse. The Bible actually says, obviously Romans 12.10 teaches us that we're to be be tender, prize, respect, everyone. That's what Romans 12.10 says, everyone. But I'm gonna take you to one last teaching in First Peter that you're not gonna like. It says to honor the king. First Peter has this. It's in 1 Peter 3 or chapter 2. It says, honor the king. Honor the king. Now the king in this context was Nero. Do you know who Nero was? Are you familiar with Nero? You know, Nero had uh, chandeliers and lamps at night and um, they were human beings lit on fire to light up his garden. They were Christians. He burned Christians alive to light up his garden at night. He fed Christians to lions in the Colosseum for people's enjoyment. He burned down Rome and said the Christians did it. This is Nero. And when this is written, Nero is the king being referred to. And the Bible says honor the king. Does that mean praise the king? Does that mean condone the king? Does that mean agree with the king? Oh no, but it means respect. He has power, he's the king. Now I know it gets real quiet in here because that's not the culture we were raised in. Now I'm gonna be real bold with you because I love you Christians. But it's amazing how much we like to honor the king when the president of our country is the one we voted for. And that's when I hear preachers like me tell you to honor the king. But I rarely hear preachers say honor the king when the president that was elected was not the president that they agree with. And I'm ready to tell you, I haven't agreed with the president in a long time, but I'm gonna respect the office and the person of the presidency. I know that's not popular, and that's why it's one slow clap from the balcony that caused a smattering of claps on the main floor, because <laughs> you're like, I can't clap, can I? Now come on, let's have a little fun. Some of you Democrats are like, that's right, honor the king, and all the Republicans are like, really? You know? <laughs> Which, for those not keeping track, that's the current party who's got their elect president in office. It's so interesting. It's so interesting, isn't it? It's so interesting. But we're supposed to be the peculiar people on the planet practicing tenderness, prizing one another. Now, I'm grateful that in certain contexts as the New Testament word honor seems to have a little bit slight different meaning. So to honor your wife is more than respect your spouse. It's to be tender. When it says honor the king, it literally just means respect, the office, respect the role, even if there's diabolical and wicked as Nero. Wow. Which is to say that our respect and our honor is anchored not to circumstances and people's performance, but it's anchored to the sovereignty, power, and control of our great God that we believe the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And though it is an absolute mystery to us, because God is in control, we can walk in honor, even to those who diabolically oppose everything we stand for and represent. Now that is a depth of spiritual maturity I am slightly unfamiliar with. It's so funny how we all wanna grow spiritually. And one of the most evident ways, honor is spoken of like some 30 times in the New Testament, this life of honor, this life of prizing one another, respecting one another, being tender with one another. We're supposed to be competitive in this way, in being tender and respectful and kind and considerate from others. I love how the message Bible says in Romans twelve ten. it says, practice playing second fiddle. That's how Eugene Peterson says honor is. Practice, and I know this might sound silly, but do you practice playing second fiddle even in social environments and conversations? I know this might sound silly to you, but you are so focused in not smoking anymore and I think that's wonderful, but I know you, you're you not gonna like this. I don't know if smoking is the best way to honor your body, I don't know. But I do know that there's far more scriptures about how you converse and talk to your fellow human being than if you put fire in your body. I'm being serious with you, I'm, I gotta be true to the text. I don't, I see far less scriptures about cursing and cussing and there are some and they're very uncomfortable. There's far more about honor. And one of the dynamics of honor in your social life is that when you talk, you're also, you make a practice of being a good listener. But guess what Christians are famous for? Not listening. And you giggle because you know it's true. When's the last time you met someone who doesn't know Jesus who goes, you know what I love about you Christians? You're all very tender listening people. Said no one ever about us. We are loud. We boycott and picket everything. And we will tell you who to vote for. That is the Western world Christian. And the scripture suggests where's the meekness, which is, by the way, power under control? Where's the kindness? Where's the tenderness? Where's the man, how are you doing? tell me what's going on in your life and i know these things they 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 seem like a uh, sometimes i feel like i'm preaching like how how to win with people and influence friends or how to how to influence people and win friends i forget that that how to win friends and influence people thank you i clearly haven't read it okay it's like how about how about you read a little bit judah or watch espn you choose okay it's that book that you just said, which I still can't remember the title. But sometimes I feel like you're looking at me like, "All right, you're just telling us how to win with people." No, I'm telling you how to worship God. I'm telling you how to worship God, and the centerpiece of His creation is you, the human being. You're unlike any other being on earth. You're the chief, the the culmination of His divine architecture. It's you. Only you have you shared. Only you share the eternal soul in the image of God. Will dogs be in heaven? I have one now, of course. There's no doubt in my mind. At least my dog will be there. (laughs) Little Louie, I'm gonna, you know what? I make a commitment to you. Next sermon I preach here next month, I'm bringing pictures and videos of my dog, and you're gonna have to deal with it because I'm the preacher. I can't wait. I should have thought of that. Man, I gotta get better. But I I love dogs and I love animals. And honestly, my heart, I've changed. I've changed in the last two years. Leave it to kids to change you. But I've opened up my heart to uh, uh, creatures and animals. And it's like, God, they're so beautiful. And this little puppy knows. Like the other day I was on a phone crying with someone. It's actually about Jesus and how beautiful he is. And this little puppy, Louie, comes over and he sits right next to me. And, And he's not a very still puppy. Like he's not good. Like he's not, he's definitely not a Christian yet. And he's like sitting, or maybe he is. Alright, but anyways, he doesn't sit still. Wait, he's a Christian. <laughs> um, he barks all the time. He's a Christian. All right, anyways. Oh, that's funny. All right, so, but he's like sitting next to me in silence, and I look down, and it dawned on me, God made him that way. His instincts tell him that when I'm when I'm unhinged emotionally, he comes close and he gets close, and I just go, God, you're incredible. How cool is this? Right? Like, I just There's so much to honor. There's so much to prize in this life. Please don't let current climates, talking points, and money-hungry media outlets dictate for you your worldview. Your life is full of honor. Your life is, there's prizes all around you. There's trophies all around you. There's beauty all around you. You know what? You're married. You should be thankful. There's a lot of single people listening to this sermon right now who wishes they were married, and you're busy wishing you were single. So which is it? Do we want to be married or single? Make up your mind, people. Isn't it funny? You used to run your mouth all day about being single, and now that you're married, you run your mouth all day about being married and how you miss being single. So which is it? You know what I say, wherever you are, honor it. Honor your singleness. Enjoy your singleness. Treat it for the prize that it is. Let us defer to one another. Deference is in the definition of honor. You defer. Like, for instance, when you engage with people, I practice this all the time because I'm a talker. Oh, do I love to talk. You're like, Judy, you don't have to tell us this. We know I love to talk, but what if you didn't talk first? What if you listened first? What if you got, what if you, what if you took an opportunity to listen to somebody's story and along the way tell them how wonderful you think their story is? That's so incredible. Did that really happen? Man, you're a miracle. You're incredible. Where's the honor? Honor means to prefer one another, respect each other, play in second place, and it means to delight in deferring. It means you start to delight to defer to others. It becomes a game. I know this sounds silly, but I used to travel and preach a lot. Now I don't travel and preach a lot because I have teenagers and they require 100% of my attention if we're going to get them to heaven. You know, so, so I'm kidding. Jesus does that. It's a joke. Everyone relax, but so I don't travel. In fact, someone sent me a, an invitation to go to the Gold Coast in Australia. It'll be a beautiful week. We'll be on the beach. You can preach only a couple times and we'll play golf. And that was the hardest no I've sent in quite some time. I was like, no, we have basketball season. I'm kidding. I'm so pumped about basketball season. But once basketball season's over, can we go to the Gold Coast? But... God told me not to travel as much anymore but when i used to travel i'd be picked up typically from a staff member from the church and sometimes they'd be excited to meet me not always but sometimes and and i would always make it a game to get them talking about more about themselves than me talking about myself because i know this about people people feel really seen and loved when you let them talk about themselves why don't we compete more like that why don't we compete with All right, all right, I'm going to win. I'm going to go to coffee with my old friend, but I'm going to get him or her talking more about their life than I talk about mine. And you know what's amazing? You listen well again, and you fall in love with human beings. Please hear me. Nothing's more important than people. I don't care what your favorite news outlet tells you. Nothing is more important than people. Remember what Jesus said about the Sabbath? It would be really important for us to note this right now. He says, man wasn't made for Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. I'm going to remind you about political policies in this country. Man wasn't made to serve policies. The policies were just supposed to serve man. And that seems a little wonky right now. I don't serve policies. I serve Jesus. I don't serve parties. I serve the person of Jesus. And I honor what He honors. And what He honors is people. You are so honorable, do you know that? Do you know how honorable you are? Do you know how honorable you are? And I wanna say this, you ought to expect to be honored in God's community. I can't promise you that you should be honored at your workplace. But as far as church home is concerned, this ought to be a place where everyone is honorable. And we ought to demonstrate to the world what true honor looks like. One of my favorite things to tell people because I need to hear it, to learn it, and to live it, is when people say thank you, I say, it's my honor. Because it is my honor. And today, before I got on the stage, I told myself, what an honor. What an honor to tell you about Jesus again. What an honor. And you know what's amazing? The the, the more I treat people like a prize, and I treat my days like a prize, and if I could say it like this, I treat myself like a prize. Like I'm a miracle, I'm a walking miracle. Some of you are like, oh no, we know, I know. Because my middle name is Nightmare on Elm Street, but I'm a miracle because I, I should be defined by my actions, my weaknesses, and my sins. But because of Jesus, I'm defined by his righteousness, his beauty, and his perfection, and his acceptance, and his forgiveness. I'm a prize. You're a prize. Let us treat one another accordingly.